Hello and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm a certified personal trainer and nutrition coach, and my mission is to help you get into the best shape of your life, regardless of your age, so you can show up in life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. But before we get to today's show, I want to let you know that this show is brought to you by The Silver Edge. The Silver Edge is my online personal training and nutrition coaching business where I help you get off the exercise and diet hamster wheel and start making permanent healthy lifestyle changes so that you can enjoy the second half of your life with strength and confidence and show up as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself no matter your age. If you're interested in learning more, send me an email at coach at silveredgefitness.com and we'll start a conversation about your personal fitness goals. Today, we have another edition of the Coach's Corner, so no guest today, it's just me, and we'll be back next week with our regular interview format. And here's what we're covering in today's episode. I start out by talking about your metabolism, how to tell if it's broken, and what to do about it if it is. Then I spend a few minutes talking about the root causes of knee pain when you squat, and I give you some advice on how to correct this so that you can age strong and mobile. Okay. Let's do this. Time to get on with today's show. How to fix a broken metabolism. Okay, before we dive into the topic of what a metabolism is, how to tell if yours is broken, and if so, what to do about it, let's look at a hypothetical example. Helen is a 58-year-old recently divorced real estate broker. She's 5'4 and weighs 149 pounds. A couple of years ago, her pre-pandemic weight was about 128, and she's been dieting pretty much nonstop for the last year and a half with very little to show for it. It seems as soon as she loses four or five pounds, she plateaus, and then somehow the weight magically just creeps back onto her body. She was a runner when her kids were young, and she frequently ran in local 5K and 10K races, and she did the occasional aerobics class with friends at the YMCA. For the past six months, she's been going to spin classes five days a week, and lately she's thrown in an extra couple of 30-minute runs in an attempt to jumpstart her weight loss. She's following a diet that she found online and is currently consuming about 1,000 calories total each day. In an effort to eat healthier, she's tried to cut out meat and fat and is substituting with plant-based meat alternatives and choosing products that are labeled low-fat. She's considering trying the keto diet based solely on a story that her friend told her about an amazing weight loss that her cousin's husband had when he went on the keto diet. Her stress is through the roof. Work is absolutely crazy, and her phone is blowing up at all hours of day and night with no relief on the weekends. Her 20-year-old daughter has recently dropped out of university and is temporarily living with her mom and working evenings at a local restaurant. She loves her daughter, but she's disappointed that she dropped out of school and seems to have no direction or ambition whatsoever. Whenever Helen tries to talk to her daughter about her future plans, the conversation turns confrontational. And meanwhile, her ex-husband, 
don't even get her started on that asshole. Somehow, he's managed to get himself into great shape and is already in another serious relationship with a woman 10 years younger, and he's been posting pictures of them in skimpy bathing suits and tropical vacation destinations. Helen's sleep, which was never great to begin with, is deteriorating. She's drinking wine pretty much nightly to help her deal with the day's stress and to fall asleep, but she's waking up multiple times through the night and gets about five hours of sleep on a good night. If I had to summarize Helen's health up in one sentence, I'd say she's a metabolic train wreck. So let's leave Helen for the moment and talk about what we mean when we say metabolism. At a very high level, your metabolism is responsible for converting food into energy at the cellular level, which is measured in calories. So the food you eat is broken down into energy that fuels all of your cellular processes, which allows your cells to do things like grow and reproduce and to stay healthy and respond to their environments. And metabolism can be broken down into two main processes, anabolism and catabolism. Anabolism refers to storing of new energy and supporting new cells and maintaining bodily functions, while catabolism, on the other hand, refers to the breaking down of that energy to fuel and move your body. The rate at which you burn calories or energy is called your metabolic rate. You may be familiar with the term BMR, or basal metabolic rate, and this refers to the number of calories your body burns just to support your vital functions. Things like breathing and blood circulation. In other words, how many calories you burn at rest. Once upon a time, evolutionarily speaking, our ancestors were hunters and gatherers, and they were constantly on the move in pursuit of food, water, and shelter. So it's not hard to imagine them burning tons of calories just going about their daily activities. But instead of becoming calorie-burning machines, their bodies metabolically adapted by becoming very efficient at using the few calories they managed to take in on a daily basis. Their bodies learned to burn fewer calories in order to survive. In other words, their metabolism slowed down as a survival mechanism. Fast forward to today, and very few of us forage or hunt for our food. Instead, we sit in our cars as we go through drive through windows. We order takeout. We're surrounded at all times by more easily accessible and calorie-dense food than our ancestors could ever have imagined. And that ancestral survival mechanism of a slow metabolism no longer serves us very well. We no longer need or want a slower metabolism to tide us over until our next meal, which could be a day or even days away. In fact, today, we want the exact opposite. We want a faster metabolism in order to burn more calories. Given that our bodies are evolutionarily designed to be efficient and slow our metabolism as much as possible, what can we do to stoke our metabolic fires and speed up our metabolism? Scientists used to think that our metabolism was primarily a function of genetics and that metabolism naturally slowed as we age. But we now know that neither of these assertions are true. Genetics play only a tiny part in your metabolism and aging even less so. But how do metabolisms get broken in the first place and how can we fix a slow metabolism? 
Let's discuss the top seven culprits in causing a slow metabolism. First up on the list is adequate hydration. Over half of your body weight is made up of water, and each day we lose some of that water through perspiration and waste elimination. Water is critical for all of your body functions, and metabolism is no exception. A simple rule of thumb is to drink half of your body weight in ounces of water every day. If you remember Helen from our case study at the beginning, she weighs 149 pounds. So a good hydration goal for her would be to aim for a minimum of, say, 75 ounces of water daily. And that works out to just a little over half a gallon of water a day. Number two, prioritize protein. Simply put, a diet that emphasizes healthy proteins energizes your metabolism. Proteins are made up of amino acids, and for those of us over 50, leucine is a particularly significant amino acid. Leucine has a critical role in energy metabolism, regulation of insulin, use of blood glucose, and stimulation of protein synthesis in your muscles. In addition, eating protein burns more calories than eating other types of food. So how much protein should you eat? A good rule of thumb is to eat 0.7 to 1 gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. Helen's ideal body weight is 128 pounds, so a good goal for her would be to eat roughly 90 to 128 grams of protein every day. Number three on this list is manage stress. Stress can negatively impact your health, and stress triggers the release of hormones that increase stored abdominal fat and ultimately slow your metabolism. And chronic stress is particularly offensive. The first step in an effective stress management strategy is to recognize your stressors and then come up with ways to either avoid or mitigate those stressors. Many people find that having a meditation, prayer, or journaling practice are effective strategies for managing stress. Number four on our list is improve sleep. Healthy sleep habits make everything better, like seriously everything. And science tells us that not getting enough sleep, and eight hours is still the gold standard, causes metabolic dysregulation. If you don't already have a bedtime routine, consider things like turning off all electronics at least an hour before bedtime. Go to bed at the same time each night and sleep in a cool, dark room. Number five, increase daily activity. Most people in our society are sedentary. Unlike our hunter-gatherer ancestors, we no longer need to move to obtain food and water. Most of us sit in our cars on our daily commutes to jobs where we sit at desks all day, and this wreaks havoc on our metabolism. But there's an easy solution. Walking. Walking is one of the most undervalued forms of exercise. Aim for 8,000 to 10,000 steps a day for optimal metabolic health. But if walking is good, then running must be better, right? Well, not really. Any form of excessive cardio will actually train your body to have a slower metabolism in the long run. In addition, excessive cardio has a catabolic effect on your muscles, meaning that you lose valuable lean muscle mass the more often you perform cardio exercise. In short, excessive cardio or intense boot camp style training will absolutely slow your metabolism over time. Number six on this list, strength train. Lean muscle mass is metabolically expensive, 
meaning that your body will burn more calories, that is, speed up your metabolism, even while you are at rest. And this is exactly what we want. Metabolically speaking, we want as much lean body mass as possible in order to achieve and maintain a healthy metabolism. And hands down, the best way to do this is through strength training, that is, lifting weights. And the final one on here, number seven, is to eat adequate calories. I saved the best for last. One of the best ways to slow down your metabolism is to be in a prolonged calorie deficit. In other words, to chronically diet. Your body is very good at metabolically adapting to its situation. And when you chronically undereat, your body attempts to compensate by slowing your metabolism down, paradoxically making it much harder to lose weight. An important concept here is understanding your energy balance or maintenance calories. That is, how many calories you need to eat in a day to maintain your current weight. And one of the best ways to calculate this is a calculation known as Total Daily Energy Expenditure, or TDEE. Your TDEE is simply your BMR multiplied by your activity intensity. And this activity intensity multiplier scale runs from 1.2, which would be very little to no exercise, all the way up to 1.9, which would be extremely intensely active. I'll put a link in the show notes to a good TDEE calculator if you're interested in calculating your own maintenance calories, and you can find that over at silveredgefitness.com slash episode 107. That's silveredgefitness.com slash episode 107. Okay, so let's revisit poor hypothetical Helen. Let's say Helen has reached out to me and she wants to hire me as her coach to help her finally achieve her weight loss goals. She's at the end of her rope and feels frustrated and defeated. Helen doesn't realize that she's trashed her metabolism or understand the extent of metabolic damage she's done to herself. And to be honest, she's not going to like my prescription. She's probably expecting some sort of diet that restricts what little she's currently eating even more, and she may even expect me to add even more grueling workouts to her already considerable workout schedule. But here's the deal. Diets definitely work, but they don't work so good on broken metabolisms. So our first order of business is to help her fix or restore her metabolism. Let's take a look and see what a reasonable course of action might be for our friend Helen. First things first, this woman needs to eat. At her goal weight of 130 pounds, her maintenance calories should be somewhere north of 1,800 calories a day, not the paltry 1,000 that she's currently eating. An increase of 800 calories a day would be a very big jump and would likely result in some additional fat gain, so we'd want to raise her calories slowly in a phased manner. Maybe get her to eat an additional 200, maybe 250 calories a day for a few weeks, and then once her body metabolically adapts to that, we'd add an additional, say, 250 daily calories wait another few weeks, and then add maybe another 200, 300 calories there again for a few weeks. And we'll want to ensure that she's hitting her daily water intake and that she's getting plenty of healthy protein and fats. And we'll definitely need to have a conversation about her daily wine habit. The second change we're going to make is to drastically reduce her cardio. 
If you remember, she's doing intense spin classes five days a week, and then she's adding additional 30-minute runs on top of that workload. We'll put Helen on a two-day-a-week full-body strength training program and ask her to reduce her spin classes to one day a week. Over time, we'll probably want to bump up her strength training to three days a week, but for now, with everything else she has going on, two days a week will be plenty to send a muscle-building signal to her body without overtaxing her. Next up, we'll need to address her stress levels and her poor sleep. Helen's stress levels are high. Between her work, her daughter, and her ex-husband, she has a lot going on. We'll encourage Helen to start develop some de-stressing routines. Perhaps 15 minutes of meditation each morning before her day gets started, and then another 15 minutes of journaling each night before bed. We'll also ask Helen to start a healthy bedtime routine, including turning off all electronics an hour before bedtime, setting a consistent bedtime, and keeping her bedroom dark and cool at night. Okay, so imagine this. We've just laid all of this out for Helen, and she's now thinking, hold on. I'm paying you a not inconsiderable amount of money to help me lose weight, and you're telling me to eat more and exercise less? How is that going to help me lose weight? And here's the thing. The honest answer is it won't, at least not in the short term. And the honest fact is that she's liable to gain a bit of weight in those first few months. So we patiently explained to Helen that we need to start with a metabolic restoration phase before we address fat loss. Which, of course, prompts Helen to ask us, well, just how long will this metabolic restoration phase last? And we know that this isn't what she wants to hear, but we tell her honestly that this phase could last from three to six months, maybe even longer, depending on how her body responds. Okay, so by now Helen really isn't feeling our sales pitch at all, but she sticks with us and she asks what happens after this metabolic restoration phase. And we replied that she's now finally ready for an accelerated fat loss phase, a.k.a. her diet. And since she has about 20 pounds that she wants to lose, we tell her that we'll likely break this into two phases. We'll put her into a calorie deficit and drop the first 10 pounds. Then we'll bring her back up to maintenance calories for a short period. And then we drop her back down into a second calorie deficit to lose those remaining 10 pounds. In all likelihood, this is a year-long journey for someone like Helen. And along the way, we'd want to teach her healthy lifestyle integration techniques so that she can maintain her ideal body weight for the rest of her life. But here's the pot of gold for Helen, her payout at the end for being so patient. She started this journey stressed, under-eating, and over-exercising with a body she wasn't happy with. 12 months later, not only does she have her ideal body, but she's eating a healthy amount of food, she's never hungry, and her mood, energy levels, and libido are all improved, and her blood work and her annual physical, it's the best it's ever been. My final takeaway is this. If you're a chronic dieter and you just can't seem to lose weight, even though you're putting in hours on the treadmill and eating less and less, The answer might be in restoring your metabolism to a happy and healthy state. And doing more of what you're already doing is only making matters worse. What to do if you have knee pain when you squat? Do your knees hurt when you squat? If so, you're not alone. 
knee pain when squatting is one of the most common complaints for people over 50. And if you tell your doctor that you're experiencing knee pain while squatting, he or she will almost certainly tell you just to stop squatting. But let's pause for a minute and examine this well-meaning advice. Let's say you went to the same doctor and you told him that you have pain when you walk. Would their advice still be the same? Would they tell you to stop walking? No, of course not. That would be ridiculous. They would look for the cause of your pain and hopefully come up with a treatment plan to get you walking pain-free again. When someone tells you you shouldn't squat due to knee pain, or really for any reason, what they're really saying is that you should forfeit being able to sit down and get up unassisted, whether that's from your favorite chair or from the toilet. And here's the thing. If you don't address the root cause of your knee pain, your knee pain will only get worse over time. By ignoring the root cause of your pain, you're actually weakening and worsening your knee. So what causes knee pain while we squat and what can we do about it? Far and away, the biggest culprit in knee pain, specifically when squatting, is related to the hip. The cause is general weakness, instability, and immobility in your hip area. And this most often occurs with people who sit most of the day at desk jobs, but it can also be caused by folks who do a lot of running. In either case, what happens is that your IT band becomes excessively tight over time. Your IT band is made up of fascia and it runs from your hips along the outside of your thigh and connects in at your knee. Fascia is a band or sheet of connective tissue made up primarily of collagen that stabilizes and closes and separates muscles and other internal organs. In this case, the fascia of the IT band becomes extremely tight. A quick but temporary way to loosen this fascia up is to foam roll your IT band. I have a YouTube video that demonstrates how to foam roll your IT band, as well as the rest of the exercises I'm going to discuss, and you can find the link to that in the show notes for this episode over at silveredgefitness.com slash episode 107, or just search for my channel on YouTube. The name of my channel is The Silver Edge, and this video is titled How to Fix Knee Pain While Squatting. So if you have pain in your knees, try foam rolling your IT band before squatting and see if that relieves your pain when performing the squat. Although foam rolling might bring some relief to your knee pain when you squat, foam rolling alone isn't addressing the underlying cause of hip weakness and immobility. For that, we're going to need to do some actual rehabilitation work. My favorite three movements for eliminating knee pain while squatting are the 90-90, the McGill Airplane, and lateral banded walks. I'll briefly describe these three movements here, but again, for a video demonstration, check out my YouTube video. The first movement is called a 90-90, and to perform this movement, you sit on the floor with one leg extended in front of you with your knee bent at a 90 degree angle, while your back leg is in line with your shoulders, and it also has a 90 degree bend at the knee. From this position, you'll hinge forward at the waist, keeping a neutral spine, and drive your knee into the floor, and you'll hold this stretch for five seconds. Return to the starting position and repeat for the prescribed number of reps, and then switch legs and repeat. 
The second movement is called the McGill Airplane, and to perform this movement, you'll hinge at the waist, keeping your back leg straight, and continue hinging at the hips until your upper body and back leg are parallel with the floor. It might be helpful to hold on to a barbell rack or a wall for balance. From this position, you'll rotate your hip upwards towards the ceiling and hold for five seconds and then return to the starting position where your hips are parallel with the floor again. Repeat for the prescribed number of reps and then repeat on the other side. The last movement is called a lateral banded walk. To perform this movement, you'll step through one of those short exercise bands, or you can double a longer band, and place it just above your knees. You'll unlock your knees so you're in a quarter squat and step side to side, remaining in that quarter squat. Do the prescribed number of steps to the right and then on the left. Okay, so let's put all of these exercises into an actual rehab program. We'll want to start with foam rolling your IT band. Spend a good five minutes on each side and make sure to spend extra time in those painful tight spots. Next, you'll move on to your 90-90s. Do three sets of five reps per side. Remember that one rep is a five-second forward hold. Do all five reps on one side and then move on to the opposite side. After the 90-90s, you'll move to the McGill Airplanes. We'll follow the same scheme here. Do three sets of five reps each side with a five-second hold on each rep. And we'll finish up with three sets of 10 banded lateral walks. Take 10 steps to the right, then 10 steps to the left, and that's one set. If your space is limited, you can alternate between one step to the right, followed by one step to the left. And that's it. That's your knee pain rehab routine. These can and should be done daily. On workout days, I like to do these before my workout, and that's probably the best place to put them. But if you prefer to use these exercises as a cool down, that's perfectly fine. One last thought on knee pain while squatting. Don't be afraid to play around with your squat stance. Try experimenting with a narrower or wider squat stance. I personally found that a squat stance where my feet are shoulder width apart, maybe just a tiny bit wider, with my toes pointed slightly outward is ideal for me. Just make sure that whatever squat stance you're using, that you're driving your knees outward as you rise from the bottom of the squat. In other words, don't allow your knees to collapse inward. So, that's it. If you're experiencing knee pain while squatting, try these exercises and hopefully you'll be squatting pain-free in the near future. Okay, that's our show for today, folks. I'll put links to everything we talked about in the show notes, and you can find that over at silveredgefitness.com slash episode 107. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget I have more free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find my mini guides with my top tips on nutrition, exercise, and lifestyle. So feel free to head over there and download anything that might be helpful to you and your fitness journey. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. One is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is to give this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. 
I really appreciate you spending your time with me today. And until next time, stay strong.